Let's take a moment and pray. Father, we want to continue to worship you. We want to worship you in your word. We want to understand what it says and the impact that it can and should have in our lives. Work in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So it wasn't long after I joined the Navy that I was asked to participate in one of the sailors' retirement ceremonies. It was on the the ship in Fall River, you know, that ship. So we, we get on the on aboard the ship, we're down underneath, and I went over to the master of ceremonies, who happened to be a master chief, and I, I look at this guy's uniform, he's got this stack of ribbons on his chest. So I walk up to him to find out, okay, I want to make sure I know what I'm doing. I, I walk up to him, and the first thing that comes out of his mouth, he looks at my chest and he says, Nice ribbon. I only had one. Just had my one ribbon. Now, if I had a bunch of ribbons, I'd think it must be too easy to get ribbons. I just joined the Navy. How am I supposed to have a bunch of them? But you know, nonetheless, I was, I was talking to him about, about all of his ribbons and how impressive that was. He said, oh, well, you can go to the uniform shop and buy some. <laughs> you know, there's a word, there's a phrase for that. It's called stolen valor. There are people that that will put on military uniforms and walk about in them as if they are members of the military. Some people will put on a dress uniform and put these ribbons on, um, but they don't have any right to have those ribbons on their chest. It's stolen valor. When it comes to the substance of what biblical Christianity is all about, we're not talking about stolen valor, but we're going to talk about granted valor. We're going to talk about accredited righteousness that is it is given to us even though we haven't earned one shred of that righteousness granted valor in Matthew 22 that's not where you are in your bible we're just going to talk about it for a couple of moments in Matthew 22 the lord jesus tells a parable concerning a wedding feast it was thrown by a king for his son and the invited guests didn't come to that feast. They were too busy. They refused to come for one reason or another. So the king invited people from the town to come. The main street. Come. Come to enjoy the wedding feast for my son. And so people come. The, the banquet room is full. People are eating the food. And the king is walking about. And he comes across this one fellow And he says to him, hey, why are you dressed like this? This is not the appropriate attire for a wedding. We start to think, well, he just got him off Main Street. What, is he going to go to the store right then and there and grab himself some wedding garments and come in properly prepared? That's the way we think. But it was a shock to the king to find this man in the wrong clothing. So the best conclusion that we can come to about what's going on there is that the custom would be, the invitation would also be a provision of those garments. And as you come to the feast, there were garments to put on that this man, for one reason or another, chose not to put on. He preferred his own outfit. He was just a wedding crasher after all. He didn't know the bride and groom. 
And he didn't care about the bride and groom. He was just there to get some free food. But there was a dress code. You're not allowed here without the right clothing. Well, it's a parable. And remember that parables are earthly stories with spiritual or heavenly meanings. So we must understand that this feast is representative of the entrance into the kingdom or entrance into heaven. And that in order to be gain entrance into heaven or the kingdom, we must, we must have on the right clothing. It's not about showing up in skinny jeans and a sweatshirt. And it's not about showing up in an Armani suit. It's something more. The required clothing to enter into God's presence forever in heaven, the kingdom of God, is to show up dressed, robed in something that God Himself would provide for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. To show up dressed in the righteous robes of Christ. The white array that is ours when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. The, the call that we want to consider this morning is about having a righteousness that gives us a proper standing today, proper standing tomorrow, and proper standing forever. Righteousness for today, tomorrow, and forever. And so I want to ask you a question as we start. Have you been clothed in this righteousness? Have you been dressed in the righteousness of Christ which is necessary to gain entrance into God's eternal home that we call heaven or the kingdom of God? Will you be a welcome member at the heavenly feast? This morning as we look at the third chapter of the book of Philippians, we want to understand that God has provided for us righteousness for today, for tomorrow, and for the future. This righteousness gives us confidence, confidence in our standing before God today. What would happen if I died today? What would happen if you died today? The righteousness provided by Christ would give you confidence to answer that question. It would also give us confidence about our eternal assurance of being fully redeemed. That one day, the process of redemption will come to its full completion where I will be exactly like Jesus Christ, character-wise, righteousness-wise. And it would give us confidence about how I walk in the days between now and then. This is what we want to discuss this morning. Confidence. In my standing now, in the assurance of my full redemption then, and in an assurance, a confidence about how to navigate the days between today and that one day in the future when we meet our God. So we're going to talk about it in three, with three theological words. You're familiar with these words. I bring them up regularly. But I want to make sure it's important for us to understand the theology of our salvation. And these three words that we're going to talk about discuss and, and unveil the theology of our salvation. The three theological words are justification, glorification, and sanctification. 
I have them out of order on purpose. Justification, glorification, and sanctification. Justification is a past tense of our salvation. Justification has the idea that I have been saved. You look back over the course of your life and you can remember coming to the place where you realized, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. And my sin is an offense to God. And and the result of that offense between me and God is that I will be separated forever from Him because of my sin. Not because He's an ogre. Not because He's cruel. But because I'm a sinner. And my sin has a penalty. The wages of sin is death. I, I, I realized this, and then I, I, someone showed me, or, or I read in the Bible, or somehow I understood that Jesus was willing to lay His life down to pay for my sin that would condemn me, and He lived a perfect life so that I would receive the righteousness necessary so I could be with God forever. In the past, you came to this realization that you needed salvation, you called upon the name of the Lord, and you were saved. We call that justification. We'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. But that's the past tense of salvation. Justification. I have been saved. Then there's the the future aspect of our salvation. I will be saved. I will be saved. My redemption is not yet complete. Don't misunderstand what that means. That's not, well, Jesus did most of the work. You just got to finish this thing off now. So as you work really hard, you'll finish off your redemption. That is not the idea of glorification. Glorification is the fact that I have been united together with Christ. I have a promise from God. And that promise from God is this. I will make you fully like my son. I will redeem you completely from the inside out and you will have an eternal standing with me. You will never again, when that glorification takes place, you will never again sin. That is such a breath of fresh air to, to look to that day when I will not struggle with my own affections any longer, but instead will fully, fully Embrace the affections of God. That's glorification. Sanctification is the present aspect of our salvation. I am being saved. I am being saved. God is saving me from something in the intervening days between justification and glorification. So here's another way to look at it. So now this is just going to go back on the board again, just with different phraseologies. I have been saved from the penalty of sin. That's justification. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I know I will never stand before God and stand guilty because I've been saved from the penalty of my sin. That's justification. Then there's sanctification. I am being saved from the power of sin. So day by day, sin that once was my master... At the point of salvation, sin no longer is my master, but it sometimes doesn't it feel like it is. Don't you feel sometimes trapped? Well, the truth of the matter is you are not trapped to sin. 
But in the process of walking with the Lord and growing in our understanding of the Word and our submission to God, what happens is sin's power is continuously loosening its grip because I am more and more drawn toward Christ-likeness and holiness and the things of the Lord that I am toward the old man and the old ways of life. I am being saved from the power of sin. And that leads us to that third one, glorification. I will be saved from the presence of sin. So the penalty, the power, and the presence. God is delivering us. Don't ever misunderstand this. Are you ready? Listen carefully. Justification, sanctification, and glorification are three aspects of our salvation or our redemption. Who is the one who brings salvation? God is. Who is the one who brings forth my justification? God. Who is the one who brings forth my sanctification? God. Who is the one who brings forth my glorification? God. It is all a work of God from beginning to end. And we're just understanding as we read our Bibles and understand what God is saying that God is the one who releases us from the penalty, the power, and one day the presence of sin. Philippians chapter 3 addresses all three of these aspects of our salvation. In the first nine verses, we see the concept of justification. Now, we're not going to unveil it all. It would take us far too long to cover the whole chapter. So we're just going to be touching on some of the verses that bring forth these concepts. In verses 1 through 9 of Philippians chapter 3, we see the concept of justification coming forth. He tells us in verse 3, that we, believers in Jesus Christ, are the circumcision. We're the true believers. Here's the three marks of a true believer. We worship by the Spirit of God. Secondly, we glory in Christ Jesus. And thirdly, we put no confidence in the flesh. He then goes on to say, if someone has confidence in the flesh, I can tell you, I will beat you, and it won't even be that close of a competition. I've got all the credentials that are needed to have confidence in the flesh, but in verse 7 he says, I don't. I don't have confidence in the flesh. All those things that at one point meant so much to me, I consider them dung because I realized they didn't get me any closer to Jesus. They didn't get me any closer to God. They didn't get me any closer to heaven. I was on the outside of the kingdom of God looking in. All of those credentials accomplished Dung heap. Look at verse 8. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of what? Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, in order that I may do what? Gain Christ. Are you with me? Verse 8. Gain Christ. Verse 9. And be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. Justification. Jesus gave us the same recipe in John 14. Now what's amazing to me, I've been doing a lot of military funerals lately, but not being the officiant. I've I've been doing something that I've really quite honestly greatly enjoyed, been involved in the honors part of the military 
um, service where, where a flag is presented to the next of kin uh, as, a, as a, an honor to the, the family and their loss of their loved one. The downside of that ceremony is listening to the people that have to talk before I do it. As they talk about assisting our brother with our prayers to get to heaven. It's very disheartening. The other day we were there and, and there was a, a guy in different clothing than, 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 than normal. He had on a tie and a, and a suit coat and think, all right, I wonder what's going to happen here. And he prays and he's asking the spirit to, to teach us and stuff like this. So I'm thinking, all right, this is going to be great. And he goes on and he waxes on and on very fast. Like he was like going on and on. And I was flabbergasted because the only time he bumped into Jesus was in the very last reading from 2 Corinthians. And it just was like by accident he bumped into Jesus there. So I was thinking, this, this person just died and you want to talk about him going to be in a better place and you don't even tell me. How do I get there? How did he get there? What is the way? Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Listen carefully to this next part. Everyone knows I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus started to introduce us to the concept of justification with that statement. No one is fit for heaven. Jesus is the only one who makes us fit for entrance to heaven. Verse 9 of Philippians chapter 3 is in competition with one other verse as the clearest, clearest passage on justification in our Bibles. In Philippians 3.9, we read it and we're going to read it again in just a moment, but its clearest competition is 2 Corinthians 5. 21, for he, God the Father, made him, God the Son, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God through him, Jesus Christ. So that's very clear, justification. What is justification? Justification has two important parts. First part of justification, this is important, folks. If 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 justification bores you, that'd be bad news for you. Two parts of justification. First of all, it's the removal of our sin. You can call that forgiveness. You can call that remission. It's a merciful act of God where He does not give to me what I do deserve. That's the first important part of justification, the removal of my sin. The second part is just as important. Justification is not complete just because I am as if I never sinned. That's only the first part of it. The second part is the addition of righteousness. You call that imputation. God imputes to our record the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is a gracious gift of God. 
Mercifully, God removes our sin. Graciously, God adds to our account the righteousness of Christ. This is justification. And that is the heart of what he's saying in verse 9 of Philippians chapter 3. Listen again to what it says. I want to be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that righteousness which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God a gift that depends on faith. How is a person justified through faith? In what? Better, in whom? Jesus Christ. Having, placing our faith in Jesus Christ is an essential part of removing our sin and having Jesus' righteousness added. If we were to add other passages of Scripture into this to have a a fuller understanding, the first part of our justification is realizing our sin. Realizing that I'm a sinner. Well, the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But not just realizing that I'm a sinner, realizing the depth of the problem that is associated with that sin. The wages, the payment for sin is what? Death. And it's an eternal death. So we recognize ourselves to be sinner and the gravity of that situation. And so we turn, turn from our sin because it does not satisfy and it has no good end. We turn from our sin and we turn to Christ who is the, the solution to our sin problem. Because He laid down His life as a once-for-all payment, a perfect payment, an accepted payment for our sin. He laid down His life to remove our sin forever and to grant to us a righteousness that is not our own. It's not stolen valor, brothers and sisters. It's granted. It's granted valor. It is a gift from God through Jesus Christ. This passage gives us that clear understanding. Paul is letting us know that the righteousness of Jesus Christ is the basis of our justification. This is a current right standing before God. Have you been justified? Have you been justified? Has your sin been forever dealt with through Jesus Christ? Has God added to your record Righteousness, so you can stand with, without question boldly before God because you're not standing there based upon your own efforts and the works that you have done, but standing there based upon the perfect and finished work of Jesus Christ. Have you been justified? That's the past element of our salvation based upon the righteousness of Christ. Now, there's a, a future aspect of our salvation. What do we call that class? You got it. Glorification. And he talks about that as well in this text. Take a look at the end of the chapter, verses 18 and following. Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. For many of whom I have told you and now tell you even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly. And they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. From it, we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Glorification. This passage, verses 18-21, to introduces to us two destinies of men. Two destinies of men. For one, in verses 18 and 19, their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. Eternal punishment in the lake of fire. doesn't develop it. He just lets us know. Those that are the enemies of the cross of Christ, those that have not repented of their sin, turned from their sin, and cried out to God for salvation through Christ, their end is destruction. That is a universal problem. That's one destiny of men. And the second one is found in verses 20 and 21. The believer's end is glory. The believer's end is glory. But our citizenship, those that have trusted Christ, how do I know? Who's the our? Well, back in verse 3, we are the circumcision. We're the true believers. What do we do? We worship by the Spirit of God. Only those that are Christ have the Spirit. And glory in Christ Jesus. Why do we glory in Christ Jesus? Because He's the only one that we can count on for our salvation. Not my own righteousness from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. A righteousness from God that depends on faith. So we rejoice in Christ Jesus, or glory in Christ Jesus, and we put no confidence in the flesh. We've turned from our flesh. Our flesh is not going to lead us to heaven. It will lead us away from heaven. Our citizenship is where? In heaven. And from it, from heaven, we're awaiting a what? A what? A Savior. The one who brings eternal salvation. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. What is He going to do? He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Two destinies of men. Their end is destruction. The believer's end is glory. Who will be glorified? We. We who trust Christ. Well, let's take a look at that for just a moment. Take a look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. You'll find that on page 944 of one of our church Bibles. In Romans chapter 8, we have this glorious passage of Scripture that gives us great encouragement if we know Jesus. Beginning in verse 28 of Romans 8, he says this, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, those whom He predestined, He also Called. So those he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he has also done what? Justified. And those whom he justified, he also what? Why didn't he say will glorify? Because it's as good as done. A decree from God is as good as done. None of God's good plans will ever be thwarted. God is... You ready for this? This is going to be the most profound thing you hear all week. God is God. No one can stay His hand. So when God determines to save someone, and He determines to glorify someone, it's as good as done. All of those who are predestined, are all of those who are called, are all of those who are justified, are all of those who are glorified. 
So who will be glorified? Everyone that God has called to himself. Every single one of them. How do we know if we're called? Have you turned from your sin and called upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes? Have you? Have you? If you have, guess what? You're called. And if you've been called, you wouldn't turn from your sin and turn to Christ if you weren't called. And if you're called and justified, it is as sure as you are currently under the sound of this voice that you will be glorified. You will be rescued from the presence of sin forever. You will be perfected. Look at 1 John chapter 3 for a moment. 1 John chapter 3. You'll find that on page 1022 of your Bibles. While you're turning back there, I want to remind you of one of the phrases that we read already in Philippians chapter 3. Speaking of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform. He will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body. This is part of the process of glorification. He's going to make us just like Him. In John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, we have this great passage of Scripture. Again, that's on page 1022 of our church Bibles. Verse 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called the children of God? And so we are! The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know, this is confidence, we know that when He appears, we shall be what? Like Him! Because we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who, has, who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. What's going to happen? God is going to transform us, our lowly bodies, to be made look into His glorious body. That's called glorification. Or you can call it final redemption. Or you can call it full redemption. Call it whatever you want to. Simple term, glorification. Glorification. Take a little... Look a little further into the book of Revelation now. Revelation 21. Revelation 21. You'll find that on page 1041 of one of our church Bibles. Or just keep going to the back and work your way back until you start seeing Bible text. While you're turning there, I want to remind you of a couple of... A passage and then some references, okay? Talking about glorification and what this will be like. And I want to remind you of something that Jesus said in Matthew 13. It's just incredible. And I, just, just to give us ourselves just a little bit of a, a little taste, a taste of what all this will be like when our bodies, our lowly bodies, are changed into His glorious body. Jesus envisions it this way in Matthew thirteen forty three. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. The righteous will shine as the sun. They will radiate something. Well, as you look through the book of Revelation, in at least three references in Revelation 3.5, in Revelation 6.11, and then Revelation 7.13 and 14, believers are robed in white robes. White robes. There are other references as well. 
And that, those white robes are symbolic of the righteousness that we've received through our Lord Jesus Christ. Glorification has everything to do with a full, full embodiment of Jesus' righteousness. God's righteousness. Glorification is the putting off of this wretched vessel that I possess. It is the putting off of these base desires that sometimes rear their ugly head within me. The, the impetuous nature or the, the uh, lustful nature or the impatient nature or the angry nature, the resentful, bitter nature. It's all gone. It's gone because we'll be robed entirely from, from inside to out completely in the righteousness of Christ. Righteousness all day, every day, forever. This is glory. Amen. I can't wait for this. I'm so sick of me. Maybe you're sick of me too. That's fine. Just know this. I'm more sick of me than you are sick of me. That's saying something because you might be really sick of me. Glorification, the full embodiment of the righteousness of Christ, moment by moment, forever. This is for every believer. It's guaranteed. What will it, what will it be like? Well, let's just get a, another little taste, okay? Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. This is glory, folks. The presence of God. He will be with us. You know, he gives us a little more taste of it. Verse 23. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. Who's the Lamb? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God slain from before the foundation of the world. Jesus Himself lights the glory of heaven. And if you're one of his, you will shine as the sun in the kingdom of your father. You will reflect the radiant splendor of a glorious savior who accrued for himself and for his people a righteousness that cannot be tarnished. Remember when Jesus was transfigured in the presence of the disciples? I love Mark. Mark is awesome. Mark says, His 
clothing was so bright. It was, it was so white. It was like no launderer on earth could ever clean laundry like this. It was glorious. It was resplendent light because it was the righteous glory of Jesus. And those who know Jesus as their Savior are sharers of that righteousness, though we never earned a shred of it. It is not stolen valor. It's granted valor. And it is sure. It is sure for you, brother and sister in Christ. If you know Jesus, it is a sure glory. The next chapter, verse tw- uh, chapter 22, verses 3 through 5, he gives us this furtherance of this. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and the night will be no more. They will need no lamp of light or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is just a little taste. Like, we're talking about, I don't know about you, obviously you can see what's going on in me. Does this cause your heart to just want to just exude joy? I can't even express to you how great this is. This is what is awaiting you if you know Jesus as your Savior. We've got all kinds of problems here on earth. There are all kinds of things that make us discouraged and frustrated. But there's something sure. There's something sure. It's awaiting you. And it's eternal. It's not five minutes. It's not five days. It's not five weeks. It's not a sabbatical that lasts for five weeks. It's not a a vacation that lasts five days in a beautiful island. It's not any of that stuff. This is real, eternal, and no end in sight. Yeah. Glory. Glory. This is one of the aspects of salvation that God has communicated to us. This is good news. This is the gospel. God's glory will light the eternal kingdom. His children will reflect His glorious radiance dressed in white robes. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is the basis of our glorification. Just like it was the basis of our justification, the righteousness of Jesus Christ is the basis of our glorification. In 1 Corinthians 15... We can't develop it, but just make reference to it for just a moment. It speaks of God's transforming power fitting us for the kingdom. Paul informs us that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. So he tells us that God is going to transform us. This perishable will be made imperishable. This mortal will be made immortal. This corruptible will be made incorruptible. God will bring this to pass. Through his own power. The transforming, the transforming work is fitting us for heaven. It's a work that is orchestrated by God Himself. Listen to what Paul said back in Philippians 1:6. I'm sure of this. That's a good way to start a sentence, right? You might be able to convince me of something about something else, but I'm sure of this. <laughs> what is he sure of? That he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what he's saying at the end of chapter 3 in Philippians. He says, who will transform our lowly body to be made like his glorious body. How? How is he going to do this? By the power that enables him even to subject 
all things to himself. This is a key, key point here. Don't lose sight. How is this transformation taking place? It's by his power that enables him to do something. Glorification isn't just... It's not a small task. It's a major task. Glorification takes the almighty power of God. And what does it take to bring a person like me and like you to glorification? There's a key word at the end of that verse. And it's underlined, I believe. There it is. And I actually made it big. Yeah. Stands out. God's power needs to make us come underneath Him. He makes us subject he makes us subject, submit. Come to a place of receiving rather than offering. Just think of it this way. Maybe a little help. Cain worked diligently and planted and harvested and, 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 he, and he brought this beautiful basket, I don't know, to God and says, here's an offering for you. Look at what I have done. Abel, on the other hand, did what God had said, and he was tending something that God had made, and he brought that thing that God had made and said, here's a lamb, here's your offering, and God looked respectfully with favor upon Abel's sacrifice. Why? He brought something that God gave him. Cain brought something he made for God. When it comes to our relationship with God, it's all about us saying, God, I need from you. I, I am the needy one. You don't need anything. Oh, a little epiphany. God doesn't need anything. That's not how religion talks about it. Do this, do that, do this other thing. Do these things. It's like God needs you. Nope, nope. No. God mercifully, graciously, lovingly, rescues me into my salvation. And His power is at, on full display when He makes me fully subject to Himself. In order to bring about our final redemption, glorification, God must bring us into full subjection. Since full subjection to God's powerful working is what is necessary for full glorification... What do you suppose is necessary for displaying the sanctification we're called to in God's Word? Full surrender. Glorification is a result of God's powerful working to make us just like Jesus. And what it takes to do that is God's power brings us into full surrender to Him. Well, sanctification is the present aspect of our salvation in which I am being uh, I am being given victory over the power of sin in my life. And what is necessary for that is a full surrender or a full subjection of my body, soul, and spirit, of my intellect, emotion, and will. And so we come to that last aspect just for a moment. Philippians chapter 3 again, please. This is a familiar passage, so we don't have to dive too deep. Sanctification is the present aspect of our salvation. What's necessary for sanctification? Full submission or subjection of my will, of my intellect, of my emotions, 
full surrender of my body, my soul, and my spirit that will result in a demonstration, a display of the sanctification I've received as a gift from God. Sanctification is a work of salvation. It's part of an aspect of salvation. And who is responsible for our salvation? God is. Sanctification is no different. Like, you know you can't make yourself shine like Jesus, right? You're very familiar with that, glorification. You know that you can't save yourself from the penalty of sin. You're, you're smart enough. You know you can't bring justification about. Well, sanctification is one of the aspects of salvation. Guess what? You can't make that happen either. Surrender. Submission. To what? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. Because the righteousness of Jesus Christ is the basis of our justification. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is what's the basis of our glorification. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is the basis of our sanctification. And guess what God gave us as a gift to help employ that righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus? He gave us His Spirit. His Spirit dwells within us to bring that righteousness that God has already given us to the outside and to put it on display instead of letting the old man run the show, instead of acting like I always acted, living like everyone else lives and thinking the way other people think. There's a surrender of my will to allow the Spirit of God to bring that righteousness to the outside. We're back in Philippians 3. I'm just going to read the text and make a couple of comments. Verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Well, just to to make this as simple as possible, break the passage down like this. Grab a hold of God's purpose for you. Grab a hold of God's purpose for you. What a precious statement that Paul nonchalantly includes here at the end of verse 12. And it's one of those things that should make your heart sing and my heart sing. The end of verse 12, he says, because Christ Jesus has made me His own. That is glorious. And it brings to mind another text of Scripture that is familiar. A text of Scripture that too often is a passage used as a weapon rather than as a treasure to be enjoyed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, the Bible says this. Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Whom you have from God, and you're not your own, for you were bought. You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So often that's like, hey listen, don't do bad things. Don't do bad things, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. It's like a weapon. It's like it's lorded over you. Like I I, I can see, I get it. I get what you mean. But this is a treasure to be enjoyed. Look at what it says. 
God made you a dwelling place of his spirit. His spirit is in you, believer, if you're a believer. His spirit is in you. And you have been bought at a price. This is talking about the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Think about this. This is a glorious treasure to be enjoyed. And he brings that to our attention in chapter 3 and verse 12. He says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Why has he made me his own? That I might display his character. That he might display his character that has been granted to me positionally. What do you mean, positionally? I am already right before the Lord. I am already righteous through Christ. And, and what is needed in my life is for that to be on display today. That's sanctification. Displaying the righteousness you've already been given. Grab a hold of God's purpose for you. Secondly, don't be distracted by the past. Verse 13. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Our past is riddled. It's riddled with successes and failures. And these are not the basis of our daily walk. These are not the basis of our walk. Our standing before God is based upon Jesus' perfect, finished work on our behalf. Our walk today should demonstrate our subjection to Him. So I think he says, don't live in the past. Grab a hold of God's purpose for you. Don't live in the past. And then finally, press forward to gain the ultimate prize. Verse 14, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. What is the ultimate prize at our home going? What's the ultimate prize? Ready? Might have talked about it already. Glorification. Full righteousness all the time, forever. The ultimate goal is to receive a full display of Jesus' righteousness. Paul said it this way as he was writing the very last words that we have written for us. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 8, the first part of the verse. Henceforth, there is laid up for me the crown of what? Righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. He said, will. He will award me on that day. Oh, wait a second. He didn't stop there. The rest of the verse says this. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. When our race has been run, when we stand in the presence of our Savior, we'll see Him face to face and we will be like Him. We will have reached the ultimate goal, which is, like it's recorded in Romans 8.29, that we'll be conformed to the image of His Son. This confidence, this expectation, This joyous look into the future is a purifying hope. That's what John said. Everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as he is pure. In the intervening days to that realization of this surety for believers, in the intervening days we press on to bring this Christ-like character to the surface of our lives. We want Christ to be displayed in our lives. This means 
being able to take the wrong, being treated unjustly. This means doing good while receiving evil. This means being at peace when surrounded by chaos. This means giving while others are taking. This means bearing long with people while they continue to push your buttons. This means telling the truth in a world full of lies. Just as the righteousness of Jesus Christ is the basis of our justification and our glorification, Jesus' righteousness is the basis of our sanctification. We are putting His character on display by the power of the Spirit who has been given to us, who dwells in us. The salvation granted to us in Jesus is not stolen valor. It's granted valor. It's granted to us through faith. And I want to ask you a question. Are you ready? Are you ready to stand before God? Are you ready to stand before God? If you are, you answer that with great worship and thanksgiving. Because the reason I'm ready to stand before God is because I've received from God the righteousness accrued by Jesus Christ has been granted to me and I have a confident standing. We're entering 2019, folks. It's happening. You didn't think it was going to happen. But here we are. 2019. If you've been justified, you know you'll be glorified one day. In 2019, may we come to that full surrender, a surrender of our soul, body, and spirit, our intellect, our emotion, and our will, that the righteousness of Jesus Christ would be on display in our lives that demonstrates the sanctification, the holiness of God. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Our Father, we need You And we have great confidence in You. Help us to realize that the gifts that You have given are evidence of the future gifts that that are sureties because of what You've done. Father, we pray for anyone in this room that does not know Jesus as their Savior, that even today they would realize that their sin is... Their sin is keeping them from You and their sin deserves and will warrant Your judgment. But Jesus died to pay for sin and they can turn from their sin and turn to Jesus and have life and have it more abundantly and have this expectation of glory that comes through Jesus Christ. I pray that You would open the eyes of anyone here that doesn't know Christ Call them to Yourself. Bring them to Yourself and give them life. I pray for believers, myself included, that we would yield ourselves fully to You and see Your glorious work in our lives continuing. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.